from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Sitting in today for Tony is our own Sarah Perry, Director of Partnerships for Family Research Council. Welcome to this Friday edition of Washington Watch. I'm your host, Sarah Perry, sitting in for Tony Perkins on this, the 6th of March, 2020. Coming up on today's show... Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer made history Wednesday by issuing verbal threats against two associate Supreme Court justices outside the Supreme Court. Now, inside, the high court heard oral arguments in the June Medical Services versus Russo, a case questioning the constitutionality of a Louisiana state law requiring doctors who perform abortions to have admitting privileges at nearby hospitals. Republican senators have since moved to censure Senator Schumer, whose statements were decried by even liberal legal scholars and prompted an unprecedented rebuke from Supreme Court Chief Justice John Roberts. Now, the senators backpedaled a bit, but did it amount to an actual apology? And is it too little too late? Representative Louis Gohmert of Texas, who sits on the House Judiciary Committee, will join me to discuss In my second block, Ursula Wing, a New York woman, pled guilty to conspiracy yesterday after supplying abortion pills to a Wisconsin man who slipped them into his pregnant girlfriend's drink in an attempt to induce an abortion. On the heels of oral arguments and June Medical Services, our Petrina Mosley, Director of Life, Culture and Women's Advocacy, will join me to discuss the use of abortion drugs, the link between abortion and sex trafficking, and the left's misuse of pro-woman terminology in the abortion debate. And at the bottom of the hour, then there were two. The Democratic presidential contest is now a two-man race, with Sanders the Socialist pitted against former Vice President Joe Biden. The mainstream media has painted Biden as a moderate alternative to Sanders, but we hearken back to comments Biden himself made last year about whether he is indeed a moderate. We talk a little bit about how he stands to gain from the next round of primaries, and we listen to anchor Brian Williams, a 30-year veteran of the mainstream media, struggle in election math. And in my final segment, tomorrow is the International Day of the Woman during this Women's History Month. But for those who track global persecution against Christians, new research from Watchdog Open Doors shows that religious persecution tends to be sex-specific indicating that sexual violence against Christian women amounts to a global calamity. I'll be joined by Elizabeth Miller, Women's Persecution Specialist for Open Doors USA, to discuss the new results. As a reminder, TonyPerkins.com is the website for our podcast. Find us anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Social media, follow us at FRCDC. Follow me at Sarah P. Perry and Tony Perkins at T. Perkins. A reminder that at TonyPerkins.com, you can find information on FRC's lead Israel trip this year, starting on June 2nd. Senate Minority Leader and New York Senator Chuck Schumer has faced a whirlwind of backlash after his recent threats to Justices Kavanaugh and Gorsuch. Now, the comments were so bad, they led the Senate to introduce a resolution to censure Schumer. Listen to what the New York Senator had to say on the steps of the Supreme Court, if you haven't heard it yet. I want to tell you, Gorsuch, I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, you have released the whirlwind. And you will pay the price. 
Well, joining me now is former judge himself and current representative of the Lone Star State's 1st Congressional District, Louis Gomert, who also serves on the House Judiciary Committee. Representative, welcome to the program. Great to be with you. Thank you. And this is uh, an important topic. And let me just point out one thing. I'm sick and tired of the alt-left media. Uh, Some call them mainstream. They're alt-left. But they keep equating the comments that uh, Republicans make criticizing the Supreme Court with an actual threat against two justices within the Supreme Court. There is no equal there. One, just criticism, that is our right under the Constitution. Making threats, that is a crime under most criminal laws. So, you know, he singled out Gorgeous. He singled out Kavanaugh, and he made clear by using the second person, you, after he called their names, this was not some general comment against the Republican establishment. No, he, so to say otherwise is just compounding a lie with another lie, compounding a threat with a lie about the threat. What he should have done is said, I apologize, I realize I singled out these two judges and made a threat. You won't know what hit you. You're going to pay, followed by you won't know what hit you. That is a threat. Now, whether it rises to the level of a threat under 18 U.S.C. 115 would be for a grand jury and a jury. But uh, it still, nonetheless, is a threat, whether it's criminal or not. And that is totally inappropriate, and it has gotten people disbarred before. So uh, he is a member of the New York Bar. It is a problem, and the fact that he continues to lie about it instead of just fessing up to what he said. And I tell you what, he compounded a threat with a lie and then with a total insult to people of Brooklyn. He wanted to make it sound like that everybody who lives in both Brooklyn makes threats all the time. It's the way they talk. Right. That's not true. It's an insult to Brooklyn. You know, I really loved, Congressman, what you started your comments with, talking about how he really should have just outright apologized, understanding his comments were inappropriate, because I have two clips here that I want to listen to, one of which is a clip in which he issues what appears to be sort of a mealy mouth through backpedaling, and then a very pointed response from Mitch McConnell on Fox News as to whether or not this Mm -hmm. rose to the level of an apology. So let's listen. I should not have used the words I used yesterday. They didn't come out the way I intended to. My point was that there would be political consequences, political consequences for President Trump and Senate Republicans if the Supreme Court, with the newly confirmed justices, stripped away a woman's right to choose. Now, if that was an apology, it wasn't much of an apology. He named the justices by name. He used words that generally are associated with inciting violence. Uh, Chuck Schumacher know better than that. He didn't just show up yesterday. It reminds me of the Speaker of the House tearing up the President's State of the Union uh, right after he finished uh, speaking. We have a behavioral problem. And I think the leaders of Congress owe it to the American people to act like adults and to not engage in shenanigans. 
you know, this seems to me to be sort of a widespread gaslighting of the American public, because I can't imagine that you believe this was an apology when he stood on the steps, identified the two associate justices by name and pointed to the Supreme Court. Do you agree with McConnell on this? Yes. Uh, You can't have an apology if you lie when you say you didn't say what uh, or you misspoke. He said he meant there would be political consequences. So one of the many exhibits to the fact that he lied about his threat was that he he singled out Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, justices on the Supreme Court, and said, you'll pay. You won't know what hit you. Uh, and then he said that that was a lie when he said, oh, no, I was talking about political consequences. Those guys are appointed for life. Yes. There are no political consequences to Gorsuch and Kavanaugh. That's why sometimes justices just disregard the Constitution and do what they want. Uh, and they are subject to being criticized for that. But to then compound the threat with a lie and then another lie that he meant political, that is really <laughs> outrageous. You that if it include if it is just a bunch of lies about your threat. So clearly, I mean, any thinking person knows you don't have political consequences to justices. So there's another lie within the lie. Well, I'd love your thoughts on this because Kim Strassel at the Wall Street Journal wrote about the fact that this is no better way, essentially, to motivate the GOP base for President Trump than to attack two of his high court justices, because really his legacy so far has been impressive on the judiciary. This is a branch of government that he's had widespread success in. If I'm John Q. Public going to the polls in November, I'm going to tell you the judiciary is important. Important to me, it was a personal motivator for my votes. I can't imagine this is going to do anything but gin up support for him. Well, I, I don't think that's the political consequences that Schumer was talking about. Right. I don't think he meant. <laughs> There's going to be political consequences. The Republicans are going to turn out like they've never turned out, and they are <laughs> going to bombard the Democrats with votes against us. I don't think that's what he was intending when he said there'll be political consequences. So no. anyway, it's it, it's just a real problem. And, you know, I, I got to say, uh, I was in a hearing years ago with Maxine Waters. We were in Judiciary Committee, and Maxine was pointing out that I think she said when she was nine years old that there were some people that came and, and um, were wanting to lynch her father and her mother, and she were in a closet just scared. She was scared out of her mind. And, and you know, I thought at the time, wow. Uh, that no child, nobody should ever have to go through that. That is so outrageous. And my heart really went out to Maxine. And then I, I, I was so shocked when she was giving speeches, telling people to get out there and scream at people, get in their faces. They have mm-hmm. no right to be out there eating or doing anything in public. Just go after them. I thought, holy cow, this she's encouraging people to do exactly what happened to her, and then I recall days as a judge when how often the abused became the abuser. Yes. So, oh, isn't that the truth? Is. 
Well, and I have to wonder whether or not the fact that even the left-leaning American Bar Association, left-wing jurists of their own legal scholars, individuals who are associated with a left-of-center perspective, get to a point where even that will clearly have no effect on Senator Schumer, because he doesn't seem to be backpedaling and saying specifically, listen, I directed it at them. It was inappropriate. I apologize. I've got to make amends. And this was something that was inappropriate from the start. Well, he knows the ABA, you know, they said it was inappropriate, but he's their guy and uh, they will not go further against him. I feel pretty sure about that. And Schumer knows that. So. Uh, I appreciated the ABA saying what was so obvious. Yeah, it was a threat. It was inappropriate. Uh, but, uh, you know, Schumer's not worried about it. Though he considers them, that those are my people. They're not going to come after me any further. They'll right. let me just brush this off by lying about my threat. Representative Louis Gohmert from Congress and the 1st Congressional District of Texas. Always a joy to talk to you, sir. Well, coming up next, an abortion drug dealer has pled guilty after a Grand Rapids man poisoned his pregnant girlfriend's drink to induce a chemical abortion. She's pled guilty to conspiracy because she provided the drugs in question. So we'll talk to FRC's Director of Life culture and women's advocacy, Patrina Mosley, about this issue and others on this International Women's Day precursor, what women's rights look like in relation to the abortion debate. We'll be right back after this on Washington Watch. In the U.S., the rate of chemical abortions is at an all-time high. This increase is being driven by the abortion industry, which wants abortion pills available through the pharmacy and the mail, making do-it-yourself abortions the future of the abortion industry. Abortion advocates once claimed that legal abortion would prevent back-alley abortions, but the health complications that often result from chemical abortion are eerily similar to those of back-alley abortions. For more information, visit frc.org slash chemicalabortion. China has become one of the most totalitarian states in human history. The Chinese Communist Party restricts religious practice and oppresses religious minorities on a sweeping scale, targeting those of every faith. The Chinese Communist Party's consistent abuses of human rights prove that it cannot be treated just like any other country. The United States must address these violations in their trade and diplomatic dealings with China. For more information about the human rights crisis in China, visit frc.org slash China. What are you reading this winter? Looking for timely and original commentary on human dignity, marriage, and religious liberty? We've got you covered at frcblog.com. The content on our blog is written by our policy experts, FRC staff, as well as outside contributors. Read about a wide variety of topics like crimes in the criminal state of China, how Game of Thrones mainstreamed sexual exploitation, transgender regret, the rise of the detransitioners, and many more. Stand for truth by staying informed at frcblog.com. What other trip to Israel can you take that combines walking where Jesus walked with meeting today's Israeli leaders? This is Tony Perkins, President of Family Research Council, inviting you to spend an incredible nine days in Israel with me, General Jerry Boykin, and former Congresswoman Michelle Bachman from June the 2nd through the 12th. 
You'll discover the roots of your faith and learn from experts about the geopolitical landscape of the region. For more information, visit TonyPerkins.com or call 844-872-5155. We all need to be lectured sometimes. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Sarah Perry, Director of Partnerships, sitting in for Tony Perkins on this Friday afternoon, the 6th of March, 2020. Well, yesterday, a New York City woman pled guilty to conspiracy after being linked to supplying chemical abortion drugs illegally to a Grand Rapids man who used them to drug his pregnant girlfriend and attempt to induce a chemical abortion. Now, these over-the-counter abortion drugs are dangerous and can be used by sex traffickers rather than a woman seeking an abortion, and they are rife with poor medical consequences and side effects. So joining me now to talk about this is FRC's Director of Life, Culture, and Women's Advocacy, Petrina Mosley. Petrina, welcome back to Washington Watch. Hey, Sarah. Thanks for having me back. So let's talk a little bit about why these particular abortifacients, as they're called, are not only not beneficial to women, but are actually extremely harmful. These abortion pills are harmful to women bodily and uh, for their physical safety. I mean, one, these abortion pills are drugs. Okay, so you're using drugs to induce an abortion. That is not a simple matter. Uh, Planned Parenthood and other abortion advocates want to make the abortion pill process sound very simple and straightforward, but it's not. It's not a pill you take and then poof, baby's gone. This is a multi-day traumatic process that involves a lot of cramping, a lot of bleeding. And actually, Sarah, what makes the abortion pill unique from any other surgical method is that a woman has to see the remains of her of her fetal child that she's aborting. That's also a psychological damaging thing that's happening with these abortion pills. Um, but secondly, the woman is not even assessed physically to see if she's eligible to take these drugs. So when you have these drugs being distributed online or by the mail illegally, uh, this cuts out the position to to assess the woman physically to make sure she's in the right physical condition to even be considered for these types of pills. Um, yeah. it, it is extremely dangerous, especially with the side effects. You've already had 24 women who have died from taking the abortion pill, and that's only the ones that's been reported to the FDA. So when you have these illegal pill uh, abortion pill covers out there, they're saying to the woman, if you experience a complication, simply go to the emergency room and say you had a miscarriage. Mm-hmm. Okay? So they're encouraging women to lie. So we don't have an accurate number how many women are actually experiencing uh, the, the dangers of this pill because they're encouraging them to lie. But Sarah, what we do know is that this is nothing to play with and that we've already seen stories after stories after stories of boyfriends or partners slipping abortion drugs into their girlfriends or their partner's train unknowingly trying to induce an abortion. How do they get the drug? Going online. And this so is that's... that we brought to the attention of the FDA yet they refuse to really have the willpower to stop it. And it sounds like that's what happened in this situation. This woman, Ursula Wing, 42, used her jewelry store online as a front for actually selling these drugs illegally. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like a lot of these drugs are coming from international locations, coming from overseas. How do we stop something like this if we know that the problem really is sort of international in context? 
Well, first, there needs to be more information about how U.S. Customs and Borders work with the FDA to stop these types of drugs from coming over. Um, we, we, what we do know is that one of the, the main proliferators of peddling abortion pills is aid access, and they've already written stories of how complicated it is to get abortion drugs through customs. So they're telling their patients to be to be literally patient and wait a couple of weeks until these drugs can come in. So sometimes customs and borders, they can, you know, get these things uh, off the off the banner, and sometimes they don't. Um, the second thing is that there has to be a willpower from the FDA to seriously crack down on illegal pill peddlers. And right now that's not, that's not what's happening. Um, what people can see online easily is that the FDA has issued warning letters to, like I said, Aid Access. That's one of the biggest peddlers. Um, I don't know if this lady is, is on that list, but there's over 70 other sites online that we know of that are selling abortion pills illegally. Illegally. And FDA has issued warning letters, but that's about it. Where's the will to seriously crack down on these peddlers and protect women? You know, it's interesting you should mention that because I talked in the open about how tomorrow is International Women's Day. We're actually in the middle of Women's History Month, but the entire abortion debate is so antithetical to the notion of protecting women. Even the abortion pill industry itself, it is sort of this abortion industrial complex where these individuals, these big pharma companies, the abortion providers, even the lobbying agencies are really prioritizing person below profit. Profit is the primary aim. Mm -hmm. You know, consequences, medical dangers be hanged. There's also a link between abortion and sex trafficking, which you've written about, isn't there? Yeah, well, right now what we've seen is, right now abortion pills are easy to get, as we just discussed, and who does it benefit most? Sexual abusers and traffickers. Right. Um, what, we've, what we've already seen is that it's easy for a trafficker to go in, get abortion pills for their, their, uh, I guess their harem, and you know they have the abortion at home or at the clinic. We've already had multiple investigations of Planned Parenthood looking the other way, while minors come in with their traffickers and abusers simply mm. get the abortion or the abortion pills and be out the door. You know, no reporting on these women being trafficked. So this is this is not anything to play with when it comes to women. I mean, abortion pills not only hurts women physically, but it's hurting them uh, when it comes to sexual violence. This is really easy for traffickers to pick up. And this is, Sarah, this is why we have restrictions on the pill. Right now, you're right. supposed to only get the pills in a clinical environment. You know, you have to have a prescription from a clinical environment to say, you know, you can take these pills after you've been physically assessed. And right now... Is already loopholes, but what boggles my mind is that the abortion industry's end goal is to make this the normal, where we have women or you know traffickers and other predators going online, easily ordering abortion pills and flipping them into women's drinks or getting abortions on women who are being trafficked. Um, if this is already happening with, with restrictions in place, how much more if the abortion industry has their way in getting these literally over-the-counter? Um, but we're not going to let that happen. FRC's Director of Life, Culture, and Women's Advocacy, who studies and writes on this issue extensively, Petrina Mosley. Thanks, as always, for being with us. Well, coming up next, the mainstream media paints Democratic presidential contender Joe Biden as a moderate, despite his own comments to the contrary. 
But this is the same mainstream media whose reporting accuracy leaves a bit to be desired. And MSNBC's recent coverage of ad spending takes the cake. I'll let you hear for yourself coming up next after the break on Washington Watch. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Sarah Perry. I'm sitting in for Tony Perkins on this Friday afternoon. TonyPerkins.com is our podcast website. You can find more resources and information on today's topics, guests, and you can register for our Israel trip that we'll be holding in June of this year. You won't want to miss it. Well, the media has made quite a few gaffes this election season. But MSNBC's coverage of Michael Bloomberg's ad spending may take the cake. So listen for yourself to the broadcast as host Brian Williams of MSNBC asks New York Times editorial board member Mara Gay on her take of the situation in spending. Listen. Somebody tweeted recently that um, actually with the money he spent, he could have given every American a million dollars. I got it. Let's put it up on the screen. It, when I read it uh, tonight on social media, it kind of all became clear. Bloomberg spent $500 million on ads, U.S. population $327 million. Uh, don't tell us if you're ahead of us on the math. He could have given each American $1 million and have had lunch money left over. It's an incredible way of putting it. It's an incredible way of putting it. It's true. It's disturbing. It does, it does suggest you know, what we're talking about here, which is there's too much money in politics. Um, I'm not sure, but I don't think Brian Williams had a calculator in front of him. And most of us can do that math in our heads. He was uh, off by quite a bit. Now, this is the same legacy media machine that would have you believe Joe Biden is a moderate, possibly recognizing that because we are down to a two-man race, Bernie Sanders is essentially on his way to smashing the Democratic Party a hundred years in the making and instead choosing to push forward a candidate that they believe is more likely to beat Donald Trump in an election standoff. But how does Biden characterize himself? Well, last year. He clarified to a union in Washington, D.C. in April that he is, in fact, not a moderate, clarifying that the rest of the party has simply just become socialist and moved further to the left than he is, which tells you something about where things stand. In fact, he was asked by a reporter, Mr. Vice President, you said two weeks ago, that you said you were the most progressive person in the Democratic Party. He countered by saying, no, I said liberal. I didn't say progressive. He made very, very clear that however you want to characterize it, the, quote, progressive left, it should be welcome. We should have a debate about things. But the idea, all of this, in effect, is that I am not a moderate He said, I'm a progressive, which used to be understood as liberal. But today, the definition of progressive has become socialist. That's not what I am. And it's not what the party's voters are. They are liberal or moderate. The same coalition that elected Barack Obama and myself 
twice. Now, this was prior to his official announcement that he would be running for president. And now that we have a two-person race, it appears that Biden's own terminology might be coming back to haunt him and is actually running at cross-purposes to what we are seeing from the mainstream media. In fact, people were ruling out Sleepy Joe Biden and were writing his political obit a week ago, but he is now the front runner, which shows you how fast things can change and how experts and forecasters have their limitations. Field of originally 20 is now down to four. It looks to be a two-person race. And again, the media was banking on other candidates, Warren, for example, Sanders, for example. Biden, Joe Biden, was the ineffable, doddering, older candidate who people joked could not remember his speech lines. But six states will be voting this coming Tuesday to be followed by four on March 17th. So we have more primaries yet to come. The biggest prize in all of those 10 contests is going to be Florida. 219 delegates up for grabs there, listeners. So the Sunshine State votes on March 17th, as do Ohio, Illinois, and Arizona. Here's the problem for Sanders when it comes to the big states. He is only the favorite in one, Washington. It looks to be a near catastrophe for Sanders, a poll from St. Pete's polls released yesterday morning, giving Biden an advantage of 50 points. But exactly how left is he? Not socialist per se, not enough to smash the Democratic Party per se, but an individual who has not once, not twice, but three times stated in public, 2012, 2017, and 2020, that transgender equality is the, quote, civil rights issue of our time. Stating further that he would go on to sign the Equality Act into law as his first action officially as president. The Equality Act, ladies and gentlemen, you will remember, gives special and protected treatment to individuals who believe They are an opposite gender, regardless of what their biology actually says. And just a few days ago, Biden released his plan to advance LGBTQ plus equality in America. Printed out, it is over 30 pages long. This is a candidate who may not smash the Democratic Party, but he is every bit as liberal. So let that be a message to you. Make sure you are voting in your elections. Well, coming up next, I've got Elizabeth Miller, women's persecution specialist for Open Doors USA, about a new report showing violence against Christian women has risen to the level of a global calamity. We'll be right back on Washington Watch. In the U.S., the rate of chemical abortions is at an all-time high. This increase is being driven by the abortion industry, which wants abortion pills available through the pharmacy and the mail, making do-it-yourself abortions the future of the abortion industry. Abortion advocates once claimed that legal abortion would prevent back-alley abortions. But the health complications that often result from chemical abortion are eerily similar to those of back-alley abortions. For more information, visit frc.org slash chemicalabortion. China has become one of the most totalitarian states in human history. 
The Chinese Communist Party restricts religious practice and oppresses religious minorities on a sweeping scale, targeting those of every faith. The Chinese Communist Party's consistent abuses of human rights prove that it cannot be treated just like any other country. The United States must address these violations in their trade and diplomatic dealings with China. For more information about the human rights crisis in China, visit frc.org slash China. What are you reading this winter? Looking for timely and original commentary on human dignity, marriage, and religious liberty? We've got you covered at frcblog.com. The content on our blog is written by our policy experts, FRC staff, as well as outside contributors. Read about a wide variety of topics like crimes in the criminal state of China, how Game of Thrones mainstreams sexual exploitation, transgender regret, the rise of the detransitioners, and many more. Stand for truth by staying informed at frcblog.com. What other trip to Israel can you take that combines walking where Jesus walked with meeting today's Israeli leaders? This is Tony Perkins, President of Family Research Council, inviting you to spend an incredible nine days in Israel with me, General Jerry Boykin, and former Congresswoman Michelle Bachman from June the 2nd through the 12th. You'll discover the roots of your faith and learn from experts about the geopolitical landscape of the region. For more information, visit TonyPerkins.com or call 844-872-5155. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Sarah Perry. I'm in for Tony Perkins today on this Friday afternoon. Happy weekend to you. Well, a new Open Doors USA report shows that sexual violence against women is a global crisis. Christian persecution seems to be growing. Every day, you know, we track international religious freedom here at Family Research Council, and we need to be vigilant to protect those around the world. So I found this unique study very compelling in this particular month. Joining me now is someone who specializes in this particular level of vigilance and issue, Women's Persecution Specialist for Open Doors USA, Elizabeth Miller. Elizabeth, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me, Sarah. So I want to talk a little bit about, first, the parameters of this study. I'm always interested to find out exactly how long things like this take, how much data was included, really what the parameters are, and then we can go to some of the actual findings of what Open Doors discovered. Sure. Well, for starters, Open Doors studies every year. Um, it's an annual survey of religious liberty for Christians around the world. We look at over 73 different countries, and we do a ranking of the top 50 worst countries where the areas are most hostile to Christianity. So for our report, we took the same data that was gathered, and much of it was, was qualitative data that told us about the experiences of men and women as they were persecuted for their faith. Hmm. Now, this was approximately a year long, if I remember, mm-hmm. and you studied a few different what are called pressure points. Can you explain some of those to us? Sure. Pressure points are um, areas of exceptional sensitivity that are targeted again and again in order to try to punish or pressure men or women for their choice to identify as a Christian. And we took this term from sort of the the martial arts idea where there are some places on your your physical body that, if pushed, can provide um, 
exceptional pain, they can easily take down an opponent. And we see the same sort of dynamic being used against the Christian church, areas of exceptional pressure that when they're attacked are very effective. And what were some of those pressure points here that your organization studied? Well, we studied areas that were both what we'd call pressure, you know, areas that kind of squeeze the individual and also areas of violence that are kind of meant to smash. What we found was that uh, they were different for men and women. And the top pressure point facing Christian women was sexual violence and forced marriage. And the top Mm. for men was physical violence and economic harassment. Huh. So actually probably following very much in keeping with where these individual nations provide freedom overall for male versus female citizens. So I found it very interesting that there was such a distinct difference in the level of persecution and the type of persecution, one of which I know, among others, was forced marriage. So in other words, sending a woman into a marriage in an attempt to quash her faith, silence her voice, give her someone who is really a captor as opposed to a husband who has individual worth and value alongside him. And I found this Mm -hmm. very compelling because what we're doing is we're seeing a progressive silencing of their voice by using really their identities as women. Was this a result that surprised you and the USA Open Doors team? So we were not really, unfortunately, because we kept hearing similar reports again and again, which is part of what prompted us to begin studying this a couple of years ago. Um, unfortunately, it's, it's shocking in that you see how effective it is at isolating and silencing women. Um, you know, we were seeing stories um, like of a young woman who, from sub-Saharan Africa who was a teenage girl who was a convert from Islam to Christianity, and she was forcefully married to a wealthy and influential religious man after she expressed disagreement with Islam to her family. And this use of forced marriage meant that under this supposedly honorable state, now she was even more constrained because she didn't have the the standing, the rights within her community. So she was enrolled in forced religious education. When that didn't affect the change, she was, um, she was, he attempted to divorce her, um, which we also find is typical, attacking her family status. Because in so many of these cultures, in these, uh, where gender roles are more stereotypical, then what we find is that without kind of that family status, um, she is even more vulnerable. So if divorced, that brings more shame. She's vulnerable as a divorced woman. So it's really an element in which these women cannot win one way or the other. If they go into a forced marriage in an effort to suppress their individual thinking, their personal religious and faith convictions, they don't win. And if they attempt to divorce to try to maintain some semblance of personal identity and to practice their faith as they see fit, there is a stigma that goes along with that as well, particularly in some of these less developed nations. That's correct. Yeah. So 82 
82% is the number that stood out to me. So violence and prevalence, both sex-specific. You've mentioned the different ways in which it manifests itself. 82% of reporting countries mentioned physical violence as the top pressure point for men. 84% mentioned sexual violence as the top pressure point for women, which is intensely disturbing to me, but again, the most effective way to silence a woman who is considered a lesser being, a lesser entity mm-hmm. in so many of these different nations, what better way than to use her own body against her, which is heartbreaking. It's awful. It really reflects the culture of the areas, too, where the idea is that the honor of the community or the family is kept in her physical body. And Mm. so by attacking her sexual purity, you attack not only her identity, but the community's sense of honor. And so it's devastating, not just to her, but to her family, to her community, and really has a very impactful ripple effect. Now, were there countries that were particularly noxious in your list of studied nations? I know that you've done sort of this longitudinal evaluation, examination of all of the data in these particularly hostile countries. Were there certain nations that stood out to you to be particularly bad actors? Well, it probably won't be a surprise to you that northeastern Nigeria is an area of particular concern as we looked at the data. Um, The gender component of the attacks and suffering of Christian women and girls there is almost in a class of its own. Um, This would, yeah, this would be like uh, the well-known raids by Boko Haram and similar groups. Um, We, most of us know Leah Sheribu's story. She was one of the Dopshi girls who was abducted two years ago. She's not been allowed to return home because uh, the the girls who have actually been released say it's because she refuses to convert to Islam. So that is an area where, yes, that it is particularly bad. Now, so we see in this environment really a correlation not to worth based on who a woman is, just what we understand to be the Christian perspective of having being, of being mm-hmm. sort of ontologically worthy because we are, because God creates us and has crafted us, men and women both, of all his creatures in his image, but instead what a woman does, who she marries, whether she divorces, how she uses her body, whether she runs away or stays within captivity. And so it really minimizes the value of the individual person, of the individual woman, because there is that deep-rooted connection to action as opposed to inherent value and worth, which is really one of the most encouraging pillars of who we know ourselves to be in our relationship with God. Yeah, that kind of attack on a woman is devastating because it is attempting to um, imprint on her lies about her value, that she is nothing after she is attacked. And sadly, so too often what we have seen is 
following trauma in areas like northern Nigeria, when women are traumatized, their husbands can find it difficult to move past that trauma, and many homes are broken up because of this idea, this, this, this lie that then they have lost, these women have lost their value. We know mm-hmm. that's not true in Scripture. We know that's not how God sees them. Um, And similarly for the men, they can feel like it was their fault for not protecting the children or their families, their wives adequately. And this, again, has a deep trauma that twists the idea of what makes him worthy in God's eyes. Mm. So the two issues are intimately connected, but both intensely distorted, which is really heartbreaking. One of the aspects of this report includes recommendations from Open Doors on how donors and institutions and governments and the church universal should respond to this research, which is so sex specific. So can you share with our listeners what some specific action items are for this report and what we can do to minister to these individuals and to draw attention to what is essentially a global calamity? Yes, yes. Well, you know, the first part is by identifying them as family, as Christian brothers and sisters, and mm-hmm. embracing that part, you know, from 1 Corinthians 12 that says when one part suffers, every part suffers with it. Yes. So I, I think we have to be informed, you know. Learning more about what that suffering looks like is a great place to start because it means that we can use this information to pray with purpose and then to look at what we might be able to do. Um, Open Doors has some great projects in these areas. Most of us cannot travel there. Um, If you look at, for instance, Nigeria, um, one of the programs that we have done that's particularly touching was a trauma care program for women who have been traumatized in northeastern Nigeria. It integrates mm-hmm. art therapy to bring healing to survivors of sexual violence and to really through this a guided painting of self-portraits to affirm these women as daughters of God, having inestimable value in his eyes. That's something that you can partner with Open Doors to do that. Um, you can bring back the lessons also of the persecuted church into your own community. And that sometimes means wherever you have avenues, advocate on behalf of women facing this kind of double vulnerability. As Christians and as women, they are so vulnerable, and they, they need us to advocate for equality for women in this way. You know, this is so perfectly timed based on the fact that we are on the cusp of International Women's Day, and there is an entirely forgotten segment of the female population in the world that is, as you so perfectly categorized, doubly vulnerable, not only by function of their religious beliefs and their Christianity, but also because they are women and they are, to a certain extent, a certain population that is more vulnerable than males in these particular nations. And the fact that you talked about economic pressure, conscription Mm -hmm. into militaries or military targets that are looking at Christian men and boys, the sort of other outside sort of hard data analysis indicates that there are different pressures that can be associated with trying to convert 
someone from Christianity or trying to oppress them for their religious beliefs. But those pressures brought against women in the midst of this global crisis really go against their own bodily selves. And how important for those of us who are following along with your excellent work at Open Doors to really bring to mind on the eve of International Women's Day that this is a community that we really need to pray for, that we need to reach out to. If individuals want more information on what you're doing with this segment of the population and on Open Doors USA's global missions overall, where can they go? They can go to opendoorsusa.org, and they can learn much more. They can learn about that initiative I was just talking about. It's uh, The painting is called Tears of Gold. They can learn about the many countries uh, where our Christian brothers and sisters are persecuted. They can read our whole report, if they like, on gender-specific religious persecution. Very interesting. I think a lot of people could do with the reminder that the most persecuted group in the world are Christians. And they're oppressed in at least 60 countries. And this particular subset, obviously very near and dear to my heart as a woman, as a mother, as a wife. And I appreciate the work that Open Doors USA is doing to bring this to light. So for more information, opendoorsusa.org. Also go to our website, tonyperkins.com, where you can find more information on Open Doors global initiatives, their research, and what we've been talking about today. Great thanks to Elizabeth Miller, Women's Persecution Specialist for Open Doors USA, who has been my guest today. This has been Washington Watch. We will always value women, and we will value men and families as the tenets and the central image bearers of God and his first creation. Thanks so much for spending your Friday afternoon with us here at Washington Watch. I've been sitting in for Tony Perkins. This is Sarah Perry. We'll talk to you next week on Washington Watch. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. 